we would have a real war with a big part of Western Europe and Russia, then we're talking about something completely different. So in a way, the Ukrainians are fighting the war for us. Hello and welcome back to the Hopkins Podcast on Foreign Affairs, the entirely student-run podcast at Johns Hopkins University. My name is Julia Ahn and I'm joined today by my co-host, Nicole Rivas. In May 2022, Sweden abandoned its long-standing policy of military non-alignment and formally requested to join NATO. This decision comes in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine earlier this year. In this special episode, we discuss why exactly Sweden chose this moment to apply for NATO membership and how extending membership to Sweden may enhance NATO's capabilities. We also discuss what this move will mean for the future of Russia-NATO relations and European security. Joining us today on this episode is the Ambassador of Sweden to the United States, Karen Olofsdotter. Karen Olofsdotter is the Ambassador of Sweden to the United States. She's an accomplished diplomat starting her career in the Foreign Service in 1994 with a posting to the Embassy of Sweden in Moscow. In the years following, she worked in numerous leadership positions within the Swedish Ministry of Foreign Affairs, including serving as Chief of Staff for several of its ministers. She has served as part of Swedish delegation to to NATO, as well as the Swedish EU representation in Brussels. She was the ambassador of Sweden to Hungary from 2011 to 2014, and in the fall of 2017, she took her post as the first female ambassador of Sweden to the United States. Ambassador, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Well, thank you for having me. To get us started, after I'd like to talk a little bit about the history of Sweden and Sweden's NATO and military non-alignment policy. So after the Cold War ended, Sweden did not end up joining NATO and they pursued a policy of neutrality. And after the joining the EU in 1995, they still remained militarily non-aligned. So first, I'd like to ask you, Ambassador, why did Sweden decide to pursue neutrality and then military non-alignment? Well, it actually goes back much longer in history. Sweden was one of the big powers of Europe. And I once read that between the year 1000 and 1814, which is when we declared ourselves military non-aligned and neutral, we were in about 60 wars. So we were one of the great warrior nations of Europe. So in 1814 or 1809, actually, we lost Finland to Russia. We still had Norway uh, in a union. We were in a union with Norway, but Sweden was kind of the leading country. And we had had parts of where St. Petersburg is today. That used to be ours, parts of Germany and, and so on. So we, you know, we were a power, really big power to reckon with. But all those wars uh, had actually made us extremely poor. And we also had to get a new um, ro- a new king because the, uh, the, the former king and that royal family was kind of ousted. Long story. Anyway, we get a new f- king. We decide to import a general from Napoleon's army thinking that, uh, you know, it's good to be allied to uh, with Napoleon. Uh, this marshal, his name is Bernadotte, comes to Stockholm, realizes that the country is extremely poor. Uh, he cannot expand the territories. There no, there's no money for it. So he, he decides he wants to be a kind of peace negotiator in Europe. And to do that with credibility, he declared Sweden neutral. So he would be seen as a neutral kind of person in that. And also he turned on Napoleon, so it didn't work out that well. Anyway, he 
you know, first king in the in in the family of the our uh, royal family today, the Bernadots. Anyway, so then you have um, extreme poverty, uh, people feeling, you know, 1850s, 1860s, religious persecution, hierarchical society. One fourth of our population leaves for the United States. Uh, and then uh, when First World War comes, we're still deciding to be neutral, to keep our country outside the war. Same goes then for the Second World War. When the Second World War ends, you know, Finland uh, had fought so bravely against the Soviet Union at the time uh, and was still not gobbled up. They were not, you know, occupied by, by the Soviet Union. But Finland had to, to sign a kind of friendship pact with the Soviet Union after the war. We proposed to Denmark and Norway that we should create the Nordic Defense Union. But when NATO was formed and the United States decided to join uh, the Atlantic, uh, you know, uh, uh, the Europeans on transatlantic defense and security policy, the Danes and Norwegians felt that that was where they belonged because they were occupied by the Germans during the war. So that left us. And we decided then, because, you know, the closeness to Finland, Finland was part of Sweden for 700 years. We lost them in 1809, as I said. Our security is extremely uh, well tied together. And if we would have joined the alliance at the time, the politicians then were really worried that the Soviet Union would make Finland part of the Soviet Union and that it wouldn't be an independent country anymore. There were other factors playing into this as well, but this is one of the most important ones. So then uh, to make our militarily non-alignedness, we were not neutral. We were militarily non-aligned to be neutral in case of war. It's, it's the fine levels, you know, same, same, but different. Anyway, so to make this credible, our, our militarily non-alignedness, because we had the Warsaw Pact on one side and NATO on the other, we developed a very strong defense industry. So, you know, we build our own fighter jets to this day. We build our own submarines. We have lots of weapons that we export to the United States and so on. We had a huge conscript army. We spent about 4% of GDP on defense. Uh, up till the eight, late eight or mid eighties, and that's when you know the Soviet Union started crumbling. And then when it fell in 1991, uh, I remember very vividly. I was a student in Moscow at the time. You know, we all thought it would was a bright new day. You know, a new Russia, peace in Europe. We had had peace in Europe because of you know the structures that we have created, the European Union and NATO. But peace in Russia, new uh, with Russia, new Russia. So we started dismantling our. Uh, military, not completely, but you know, went down to basically one percent at the end of the nineties, and then we realized things are not going that well uh, with our neighbor. So gradually and slowly, and then you know, we saw the attack on uh, Georgia in two thousand eight, uh, and Crimea, of course, in two thousand fourteen. So we we have increased our defense spending lots in this time. Actually, between two thousand fourteen and twenty twenty five. We had decided to increase our defense spending by 80%. And now, even before we, we you know, decided to join NATO, uh, we had to, taken a decision to go up to 2% because it's just too much tensions in our, in our region. So that's basically the history of it. So, you know, for Sweden to take a decision to join NATO and, you know, change footing in three months after almost the same kind of military and security policy of, since 1814. <laughs> it's a huge step. That's an answer to your question. Yeah. And Ambassador, that's a perfect segue to the next question I had, which is 
given that huge step, could you tell us exactly what about the invasion of Ukraine made it so that they would apply for NATO because of that? Why apply now? Well, uh, as our prime minister said that, you know, the attack on this brutal, unprovoked attack on a sovereign country in Europe in February changed everything because we saw and we realized what the Russians could do. We had seen the writing on the wall, of course, but I think most of us didn't want to believe that it would actually happen. You know, we haven't had, of course, we had the war in the Balkans, but we hadn't had a war with such a power as Russia and a a nuclear power. Uh, I mean, not a nuclear weapon power uh, since, since the Second World War. So this really, you know, uh, made us rethink our own security situation. And we have already already have a very, very close relationship to NATO. We have an enhanced partnership. We were as close as you could be without being a NATO ally. But then when the debate started in Finland that this was something they were considering, we started considering the same. And as I told you, throughout history, our security has been tied to the security of Finland. So that really made the politicians in Sweden and the population in Sweden think that maybe this is the time we really need to, you know, be part of an alliance. Both that we, people can trust that we will come to others' rescue, but that we also get security assurances. So, it, you know, this is a two, it's not just us wanting security assurances, which is really important, but we also want to show our neighbors that they can really, we have said, we've had a solidarity declaration for many years saying that we will come to the rescue of our neighbors if war or crisis would happen. But of course, that's not as cut in stone as actually joining the alliance. And for our listeners who might not know as much about the NATO structure and what it entails, um, given, especially as you said, that NATO, Sweden has worked quite closely with NATO in the past, um, I know the security assurance is a big deal for Sweden um, in what it gains from joining as a full member, but maybe could you talk also about how does adding Sweden to NATO exactly enhance NATO's capabilities, maybe mm. especially in the Baltic region? Yeah. Well, now I wish I had a map. I have a small map here on the backside of my <laughs> of my paper. And if you see here the Baltic Sea, and you mm. realize how big Sweden is, mm. and you have Finland. So if you're if we're concerned about the security of the Baltic states, Mm-hmm. Uh, which maybe are the ones who are most vulnerable in our region. If you add this territory and you add that, uh, and that's Norway I'm pointing to now, that's Finland. If you have Finland, you know, you, you get when you, because when we join NATO, you can start do the planning for the whole region. Right now, you cannot plan uh, taking Sweden and Finland into account because we are not part of the alliance. Of course, we have cooperation and so on, but it's not the same as deep, military planning. But now you can add our territories to that planning and you can add our military capabilities to that planning. So it really increases the, the security of, uh, of the whole region. And uh, as we, the Senate yesterday voted here in the US on, on the ratification of Sweden and Finland's membership, one senator said that if you look at the map now, and you know, we have St. Petersburg at the end of the Finnish Gulf of the Bay, now it's two NATO countries surrounding that bay, Finland on top and then Estonia. Then you have the uh, outlet of the Baltic, which is where Denmark is, where Denmark and Sweden basically meets. It's a very, it's only like, what is that, three kilometers, one and a half mile, two miles wide. 
uh, at the where it's at at its narrowest. Now there will be two NATO countries surrounding that strait. So, of course, this really increases uh, the security in the Baltic. The Baltic basically becomes a NATO sea. If you take away Kaliningrad and then, of course, Russia there at the end of the Finnish Bay. So, so this is giving us much more, you know, capabilities. And we tell everyone that we are a, we are a net contributor to, to security. We have a very modern, uh, capable armed forces latest technology, you know, very well trained. And we have decided, as I said, to go up to 2% so that we will increase our capabilities even further. And Finland has a very strong military force. Uh, one of the biggest, I think, conscript armies uh, in the world, if you look at it per capita. And they have just bought F-35s. Uh, the fighter jet, the U.S. fighter jets, they bought 65 of them. We have our own fighter jets. We will be up to 90 fighter jets uh, very soon. That that sounds like small numbers, but actually I heard yesterday, if if you count Finland and the U.S. per capita, uh, the U.S. would have to increase its amount of uh, fighter jets by uh, tenfold, I think, to come to the same. I mean, it's an enormous capability. So this what we do together, and then you have Norway with their F-35s, and our joint capabilities are very, very strong. So it's really a net contribution to security. Right. And now I want to sort of pivot to Russia-Sweden relations. And um, so Russia has issued threats in response to the possibility of Sweden joining NATO, um, saying that they have no issue with them joining, but if military infrastructure were deployed, they would restore military balance. So what's your take on how joining NATO may affect Russia-Sweden relations, and mm. especially during this interim period where all NATO countries must ratify Sweden's application, like you said, Senate the Senate ratified yesterday. Um, yeah, are there actually, concerns, sorry. Oh, sorry. Are, are there concerns from Sweden about increased vulnerability during this time? Yes, of course, we have been concerned, but we have gotten, you know, so not, not full security assurances, but very strong assurances from all the countries surrounding us that in this in the meantime you know they will basically see us as an ally even if we are not so that's of course we're very very happy for that support uh, we haven't seen any military threats coming from russia to our territory uh, on this time of course they are preoccupied by the horrendous war in 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 the ukraine but we have to prepare be prepared for everything because this is a country where you know the, president putin has done what he said he would do. So nowadays we have to really read what he says differently. And also it is a country with nuclear weapons. So um, we have enhanced our own security during this time. During this time, we, we were doing that even before we you know, decided to join NATO. So we have increased uh, our presence on the island of Gotland, which is one of the most strategic places in the Baltic Sea. Uh, and we have also, you know, increased our security otherwise. We have also been looking out for cyber and hybrid threats and disinformation threats. Haven't seen that much, uh, actually. Uh, so um, this is to better be safe than sorry kind of <laughs> policy. Um, and Sweden, Finland and Turkey have recently signed an accord to lift Turkey's veto on Sweden and Finland's NATO membership in exchange for promises on strengthening counterterrorism efforts. So I was wondering what specifically did Sweden pledge and is there concern that Turkey may reinstate their veto? 
course, we hope they won't because we will contribute to the full all security of all members of the alliance. And as I said, uh, us joining really increases the security in the north. Uh, and we have said publicly that uh, us joining is we, of course, see the all of the terri- NATO territory, if your territory as you know our responsibility as well. So uh, we are really a country to be counted on. So in the discussions with Turkey, we we discussed uh, lifting a weapon embargo um, that we've had on Turkey. That comes into play when Turkey would like to buy something, a military you know, sales from, from Sweden. Uh, there's been talk about, um, now let's see, my mind slips me. Uh, also, the contacts we will have with um, um, the Kurdish-related organizations in northern Syria, YPG and SDG. We have never financed those organizations, like the United States is, for instance, financing those. We haven't done that. But we will look over uh, the way we have contacts with those organizations. There's also been a discussion on uh, extradition uh, of people uh, <clears throat> that are, uh, you know, uh, related to terrorist activities or other criminal activities. Uh, so that's also a discussion that's ongoing. But that's a judicial process in Sweden, just like everywhere else. So that's not something that the government can take a decision on. It, it's a police matter and it's a judicial uh, and legal process. Um, but that's also a discussion we are having with Turkey. So uh, we, are, we are happy that we could come. And we also have a new terrorism legislation uh, coming in, came into force 1st of July, where um, it now is forbidden to be a member of a terrorist organization. You can still express support for a terrorist organization, just like here, it's through freedom of speech, but you can't be a member of one, uh, among other things. So uh, we have uh, had a good dialogue with uh, our Turkish uh, friends, and we hope that they will, uh, you know, when it's time for them to ratify in their parliament, that they will you know, uh, support and ratify it swiftly so we can become members as soon as possible. And Ambassador, I wanted to draw our listeners' attention first on how the U.S. Senate recently ratified um, the Sweden and Finland's NATO ascension. Mm -hmm. And um, to start us off on this topic, I know for our listeners who are interested in pursuing a role in diplomacy or going into that um, career, I wanted to ask you, what was that like on the Senate floor um, when that happened? And specifically, Ambassador, what was your role? How did you make this happen? Well, uh, we, of course, it's not my doing, uh, in a sense. I hope I have been contributing to this happening. I have actually, over the last few months, I've met 50 out of 100 senators and had, had in-depth conversations with them. And I have given everyone this paper, Sweden is a net, Sweden in NATO, a net contributor to Europe security, where we lay out like the basic facts. And also trying, you know, to if they had any questions, mark, marks to try to iron them out and so on. So it's been a, a, a big effort from the embassy here in Sweden to reach out to the members of the Senate. And then also we have uh, been part of a lot of media interviews, uh, you know, trying to, to, to raise. And there has been lots of interest from the media in the U.S. and, and globally, of course. But my, my responsibility is media here. Our prime minister was here to meet uh, President Biden a couple of months ago together with the Finnish president. Our foreign minister has been here. Our, um, 
our Minister of uh, Defence has been here and there has been congressional and Senate delegations coming to Sweden and also military uh, visits. So uh, head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, mainly was in Sweden in June. So very, you know, big exchange. So our role here at the embassy has really been to, you know, enlighten members of, of the Senate uh, to to explain to them. And But we have had huge support. So I think they would have voted for us, uh, most of them anyway, but on the margin, I hope it would have helped. And at least they are much more knowledgeable. And yesterday at the Senate floor, 18 senators spoke. And they were really, I could recognize some of the language we had used in our talks. So they had, but really they they all confirmed, you know, uh, uh, the contribution of Sweden and Finland as net contributors, that this will make the Baltic more secure. We come in as two strong democracies with strong economies uh, and so on. So, So it was really moving to sit there on the balcony together with my Swedish colleagues here from the embassy and also our Finnish colleagues. Uh, and listen to that. Uh, then there was one senator who voted no, and he explained his thinking around this. Uh, and then uh, quite a few senators came up uh, to the balcony where we were sitting just to congratulate us. And, and, and so so it was a very, very moving day. And uh, yes, uh, that that uh, the support is so strong and so heartfelt is really fantastic. And I think it sends a very strong signal to the Kremlin uh, that this is something, the enlargement is something that the United States, who is, of course, the most important member maybe of NATO, or at least the biggest member of NATO, is fully behind. There's There are no question marks on that. And also to the other members of NATO, that they can rest assured that this is something that the United States is really supporting. Right. And it was a fantastic day, I can tell you. <laughs> and congratulations. Ambassador, I know you've probably heard this question several times, um, but I know I wanted to address a concern that I've heard some congressmen and some Americans say, which is that maybe because China is America's biggest adversary, maybe the U.S. shouldn't expand its security commitments in Europe um, because doing so may make the U.S. less safe. Mm. How would you respond to those who have that concern. Exactly as I said before, Sweden is a real net contributor to security. And again, if you look at the map, if you don't have Sweden and Finland in NATO, it's actually more difficult to defend the Baltic republics. So the pressure, I mean, of course, we're if you join an alliance and you all sign up to you know, the commitments, that means everyone, including the United States. But given that we join and with our capabilities and the possibility, as I said, to plan uh, around the Baltic, it actually lets the U.S. off the hook a bit, if I may say. So it doesn't mean that we don't count on U.S. presence, but it, of course, makes it easier to defend the Baltic. So I would actually say it's the contrary. With us joining, uh, the U.S. can, uh, you know, uh, of course, continue to be engaged in Europe, but we also understand the focus on China. We are all worried about the developments, you know, in China and the tensions and so on. And also, if you look, if we go north over the Arctic, if you have then Canada, the United States, the UK, Iceland, Finland, Norway and Sweden in NATO all together. And you have Chinese aspirations up there. It's actually strengthening also uh, the security in the north of the globe. So... Actually, I think it's the contrary. I hope you think so too now that I have explained it. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. 
definitely convincing. Yeah. So uh, sort of looking towards the long term, um, what, if any, implications do you think Swedish NATO membership will have on the war in Ukraine or perhaps European security in the long term? Well, as I said, with this enlargement, you really bring two very capable nations into the security uh, planning process of NATO. And I think that is very important. Uh, It sends a strong signal to the Kremlin that, you know, we are we take our security very seriously. Uh, And we have all, uh, you know, supported Ukraine as much as we can with weapons and, and everything military related but countries like Sweden we have also really supported the Ukrainian population with money so we have you know put funds straight into their central bank to use for the administration for for you know if they don't get help with that the pension system collapses and then you could envisage that people feel like older people. I mean, you never know if they would, you know, feel that it's better to get a pension from Russia. You never know. So it's important that we help the Ukrainians as much as we can, not only militarily, but also with other resources, because it's a very frail society right now fighting for their life. And they are really fighting our war. Because imagine if we all would be, you know, if we would have a real war with a big part of Western Europe and Russia, then we're talking about something completely different. So in a way, the Ukrainians are fighting the war for us. Uh, and that's very important to remember and give them as much support as we can. And of course, we have the winter coming up. Energy prices in Europe will be very high. And we are talking about rationing energy consumption and so on. So it will be a tough winter, most likely. But it's important that we all think about why we have so you know pull our weight or, or do what we can uh, in you know in the end to help the Ukrainians win the war. Ambassador, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. It was a great conversation. No, thank you. You should all become diplomats. It's a great job. <laughs> thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Hopkins Podcast on Foreign Affairs. We hope you enjoyed it. We would like to say thank you to the International Studies Program at Johns Hopkins University and the SNF Agora Institute at Johns Hopkins University for making this episode possible. Remember to follow us on social media at Hopkins POFA on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for the latest and greatest of Hopkins POFA content. Hit follow on Spotify, subscribe on iTunes, and leave a rating. We'll see you next time.